Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir in Chaim Aran. We're in the section entitled Avodas Hashem, paragraph Tov Samach Dalit. We dedicate the learning, Le'ilu Nishmas, all those that need an Ilu Nishama, and for a complete Refuah Shalema, for all those that need a Refuah Shalema. Regarding the story of the city of of Bardichev, where there were people that told Rabbeinazal many stories about the people, the wealthy people, and other people, and people that were famous. Rabbeinazal commented and said, if we join together all of these stories of all of these different type of people in Bardichev, together with all of these tzaddikim, these who are all people that are, have a lot of recognition now, it's all nothing. And he said, just like you have a tree that's growing in, a, in an orchard or in a field, and there are many trees growing there, and even in one tree, there are different parts to the tree sometimes. Sometimes there's a branch on a tree <clears throat> that starts rotting in a certain place, and sometimes you have a tree where the seed with which the tree was planted <clears throat> spoils because a worm gets in there and is able to damage it, sometimes a branch, sometimes a fruit that's all the way on top of the tree, and that fruit happens to spoil somehow, and also many different, all kinds of differences and problems that can come up in one tree, and even in in a leaf or in a, a fruit. And yet, despite that, the tree is a tree. It doesn't mean the tree isn't a tree at all. The tree is a tree, it's producing fruit, but one of the branches or one of the fruit or spoiled or damaged. And of course, if we talk about the entire orchard that has many trees, of course, it's still very choshuv. And Rav Nosanzal writes, the nimshal, what we can take out of this parable, is, is obvious, a little bit obvious, that even though we find today in the world that there are many people that are messed up. Imagine he's saying this 200 years ago. Many people that are mikulkolim legamri. And there are those that are a little bit kosher, and yet despite that, they have many, many issues going on, many issues in which they're not so good. And among them, unfortunately, are some people who are mefursamim shel sheker, people who have recognition, people look up to them as leaders, and they're really false leaders. But despite that, the holy tree is a tree. And certainly the orchard in which many trees grow, which are neshamois, is also very, very precious because all of these negative things, all of these problematic things, don't count. They don't count at all. We disregard them completely. And the point that he was making is that we know Rabbi Hashem has a nation, 600,000 neshamois, and, and the Zohar Kodesh speaks about the Jewish nation very often as a tree from which come forth beautiful fruit, etc., etc. And even if there, some of the fruit are damaged, and even if a branch is damaged, meaning no matter what negativity is going on, the Jewish nation is still very, very special. We find we're reading now we're in, these, in the period called Shavavim, where we read the Parshas and Chumash from Shmois, Vo'era, Boi, B'Shalach, going down to Mitzrayim, coming out of Mitzrayim, and we're told in this coming week's Parsha, we're going to be reading B'Shalach, it says, Vachamushim Olu B'nei Yisrael Mitzrayim. 
the, there are several interpretations of what chamusha means. One interpretation is a fifth. Twenty percent of the Jewish nation came out of Mitzrayim. Four-fifths didn't make it. They died during the plague of Choshech, all kinds of different reasons. A person would say, a nation like this, where only 20% is, is good, so how good could they be? The answer is that despite all of this, the Jewish nation is the underlying purpose of the creation of the entire world. The 15 billion people in the world, and all the everything, all the trillions of birds and reptiles and flowers, and all was created just for Bishvil Yisrael, for the Jewish nation. So the fact that we see that there are people, Rahman al-Islam, that are mikulkal, that are messed up in different ways, it's an issue. But Rabbi Nezal said, compared to the significance of the Jewish nation, it's nothing. It's, it's bottle bi'elif, it's bottle, you know, it, it, it becomes null and void. The next paragraph, Tav Samachai, Rabbi Nezal said, that he did not want any of his students to be a malamed. And he spoke about this several times. That was one comment that he made. And another comment that he made is that regarding Parnassa, generally it's better to live in a large city than in a village. Remember in those days where Abenazar lived in the Ukraine, the Jewish people generally lived, many of them lived in these small villages, small towns. There were some larger cities, major ma- main cities, and Rabbi Nezal's advice was that regarding Parnosa, better to live in a large city. And Rabbi Nezal said, sort of jokingly, the Gemara says, "Ein lecha adam she'ein Every person has a moment of success in their life, a time where they 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 can get a special bracha. And at the same time, there's no, no, no type of item that doesn't have a place, a location, where if it's in the right location and the right timing, even if it seems like it's not such a major item, it could be very successful. A lot has to do with timing and location, being in the right place at the right time. <clears throat> so Rabbi Nassau said that when a person is involved in business, it's possible that if they're doing business at that moment when, when Hashem wants to give them a bracha, they can experience a major success in their business and, and make, earn a, a large amount of profit at that moment. But if the person is a malamed, if the person is a teacher, he's teaching students, and his salary is, you know, among the lowest salaries that there are, so even when his moment comes... What's his Hatzlacha going to be, Rabbi Nezal said? That one of the students will bring him a delicious kugel that their mother made to say thank you, to express her appreciation that he's such a good malamed. <clears throat> or they'll bring him some of the, like on Rosh Chodesh, there was a custom to bring a little bit, a small donation to the teachers, you know, to, to, to show gratitude. And with that, this person's lucky moment, his moment of good fortune goes by with that. That was his good fortune, that the kugel came out good, or he got a little larger kugel, or whatever it was, with some nonsense like that. Whereas another person who's involved in a real business, when the timing is right, when the moment comes, they can make major, they can achieve major, major success. And so too regarding the issue of location, if a person lives in a large city where there are big businesses, 
it's possible that at the right moment, the right time, the person can connect to a business where he can make a fortune because those businesses are located generally in those kind of cities. Whereas in a small city, Rabbi Nezal said, you know, like what, what, could, what kind of profit could he make? And, and again, he emphasized this statement in the Gemara, that these things are important to know. And obviously, regarding tefillah, person davening, person asking Hashem for divine assistance, a person needs to know that these are important factors, that a person has to ask Hashem, help me be to be in the right place at the right time. How does, can a person know? A person can't necessarily know that. Hashem can guide a person, or a tzaddik can guide a person. A person asks, where should I live? Should I live here? Should I live there? And a tzaddik can give advice sometimes that you're better off here. And sometimes to us, with our logic, it's hard for us to understand why is he saying that. But tzaddikim know all the different factors that are involved, why it could be a benefit to a person. Question in the chat. But there can also be a moment of bad mazel when a business person can lose all their money and even been left with debt. Nothing like that can happen to a school teacher. Why wasn't Rabbi Nezal afraid of that for his students? The answer is he was afraid. Keep in mind that we're reading a, a paragraph in a sefer that has five, six hundred paragraphs. Rabbi Nassau is commenting on this item that there is a reason, sometimes there is a valid reason for a person not to be a school teacher. We know we need teachers and we need good teachers. And sometimes the right teacher can have a schus that there are thousands of students. Literally, recently there were different great rabbis that passed away that taught maybe a few thousand students throughout their 50-year career. And each one of those students, if the teacher was able to infuse them with Yira Shamayim, with Emuna, with a love for Yiddishkeit, the reward that such a teacher has is immeasurable. There's no way we can fathom how special that is. Rabbi Nezal was commenting that there is this factor, there is this concept of a Shor and a Mokayim, where in choosing a Parnasa, Sometimes this could be a very important factor. Rabbi Nassau also commented once, I don't recall if we had it already, we're going to have it, that, that very often those people who were Malamde Tinoikos, very often it was the mothers that would bring the children and take back the children, and it was the mothers that they would have to discuss the children with, and Rabbi Nassau was concerned about that also, that a Malamed has to spend extra time, more than usual, with women, with other women. And that was also a factor to be considered. The next paragraph, Tov Samachvov. This takes place about a year before Rabbi Nezal passed away. <coughs> the night of Shabbos Chazoin. Shabbos Chazoin is the Shabbos before Tishabov. When we read the Haftorah, Chazoin Yeshayo Ben Omois. And people were telling Rabbi Nezal, about the tremendous suffering and unusual types of deaths that people had died in the city of Ostra when there was a, a major fire that broke out on the previous Erev Shabbos, the Friday before that. I believe Ostra was the city that the Marashah was, was the, the rabbi at one point. So Rabbi Nezal commented that 
more than one person suffers suffers major suffering as a result of the song. Which song? The song which the Chazan sings on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur towards the end of Unesane Toikef. We know that there's a tefillah in the Musaf Shmon Esrei of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which is, which is considered one of the most extraordinary tefillahs in the entire Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. This tefillah was written by a, a tzaddik, Rabbi Amnoim, over a thousand years ago, where the, the story goes that he had a close relationship with the bishop of the city. The bishop had tremendous respect for him, and in those days, these bishops had tremendous power, authority, by the, by the government. And this bishop, one day, who, who seemed to like him for years and respected him, one day he got this great idea that he wants Rav Amnoin to convert to his religion. And Rav Amnoin, who had a relationship with this person for a long period of time, he thought... To give him to say no immediately on the spot might be extremely offensive and insulting. So he said, Give me a few days, give me three days to consider your offer, your your proposition. He went home and he thought over the words that he said, and he felt horrible that, that this is a disrespect to Hashem, that this bishop should think that I would consider for a fraction of a second giving up my religion. So sure enough, when the time came that he had said he would give the bishop an answer, he didn't go. He refused to go. He didn't want to see him anymore at all. The bishop waited, and then at one point he lost his patience, and he sent messengers to bring Rav Amnoin to him. And he had Rav Amnoin brought before him, and he, and, and Rav Am, he said, Why didn't you come when you said you were going to come? Rav Amnoin said, I, I felt terrible over the horrific mistake that I made in telling you that I would consider this, that I would think about this, and for that my tongue should be cut out. The bishop said, your tongue, I'm not interested, but your hands and feet, the fact that you said you're going to come and you didn't come, you didn't show, now we're going to amputate your feet and your hands piece by piece. And sure enough, they started doing this. They started amputating Part, not, not the whole finger at a time, part of the finger, and each time asking him, last chance, you want to, you're willing to convert or not? No, they amputated more. And at the end of this amputation, he was without hands and without feet, completely. Couldn't move at all himself. Put him in a chair and sent him home like that. And this was before Rosh Hashanah, right before Rosh Hashanah, when I believe it was Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Kippur, I believe it was Rosh Hashanah, and they brought him to shul for Rosh Hashanah, obviously in a chair, he couldn't move, couldn't walk. And when the chazan was doing the repetition of the Shemun Esrei, he asked the chazan to, pour, to, to, to stop. And he said, I want to offer a tefillah, I want to be Mekadeh Shem Shemaim, I want to sanctify the name of heaven. And he recited this tefillah of Unesane Toikef, which we have in all of our Masoyim, the Sfaradim say it also, could be not. Yeah. It's, this happened in the Ashkenazic world. And then he passed away, he died. A few nights later, he came to one of the Tzadikim, Rabbi Meshulam. This is during the time of the, of the Rishonim or the Goinim, you know, way, way over a thousand years ago. He came to him in a dream, 
And he told him, that tefillah that I recited, I'm going to teach it to you now. In the dream, he taught it to him. And he said, I want you to write it down, and I want you to send it out to all the communities. And this should be instituted, this should be included as part of the service on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And again, this is the highlight. This is one of the, the most important tefillahs. It's known in the Ashkenazic world, Unesane Toikif, the Chazonim, the Balit Tefillahs, that's one of the most powerful, powerful tefillahs where he sanctifies Hashem's name. <clears throat> and towards the end of that tefillah, there's a piece where it says, Mi Anuach o Mi Who is going to be able to move and who will not be able to move? <clears throat> who's going to live? Who's going to die? Who by fire? Who by water? It's an incredible, incredible, serious piece of the tefillah on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. So Rabbein Azal said that after the Chazan sings Unesane Toikef, towards the end there's this part of Mi Anuach, Mi Anuach, and then it says Mi Shofel U Mi Yorum, which person is going to be lowered and which person is going to be elevated. And then after the whole recital of the words is finished, there's a song, there's a nigun that the Chazan sings afterwards without words. Before he says those powerful words, that's the, the grand finale of this whole piece. So there is that nigun, that song, that sung in between Unesane Toikef and those words After they finish those words, Miyorum and Rabbein said, where, where it speaks about all the different decrees, the potential decrees that the Jewish people could, could have to suffer. So at first, he actually verbalizes the decrees, mi anuach, mi shofel, and he says it with the special song that people are familiar with. But then afterwards, the song continues without words, alluding to the fact that there are certain gzeros that we don't even know about. We have no idea how it's going to come about, chas v'shalom. And it's from that song that these harsh decrees come, which are not listed, which are not listed clearly in this piyot of an asana toikif. It's just that the chazan is alluding to them in the song that's sung. Rav Nassim said those that are familiar with these special songs of the high holidays know exactly what I'm talking about, these, the special nigun. It's interesting to note, I know this is the case in the Ashkenazi communities, I'm not sure what among these Faradim, that there's very, very serious adherence to the songs, to the traditions, the songs that we have for the different prayers on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that go back hundreds of years, the special tunes that are sung for the different parts. There are, there are chazonim, there are cantors, who think it's a nice thing to, to, to institute, to bring in a new song, to get the people to, to, to participate more, certain more newer, modern songs that they'll put to the Kedusho or the Keser or different parts of the prayer of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur for which there are these old traditions. There are these special, special songs that have been passed down for hundreds of years regarding these prayers on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it, it's definitely, there are, there are sforum that warn that it's a very dangerous thing 
for a person's chas v'sham to deviate from the famous, the, these songs that were passed down from generations. We know that a song isn't a simple thing. Rabbi Nezal says on the Kut Imran that a song can elevate a person in an incredible way, and a song can bring a person to terrible sins, Rahman depending on the type of song, the type of music. In the Beis Hamikdosh, nothing took place without song without song and musical instruments, seven days a week, including Shabbos and Yom Tif. That's how important songs are. So in terms of the, here Rabbi Nezal made it clear that these terrible gzeros are connected to, that when we sing these songs, it alludes to things that are going to take place throughout the year. It's not chasham that the song causes the, the gzera, but it alludes, it tells us, that there are certain things that unfortunately unexpected tragedies and suffering. The next paragraph, Tov Samachzayin, <clears throat> again related to the special tefillos of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And here Rabbi Nezal said that it's interesting to note that when the Chazan begins, when the Bal Shachris begins, not there's the Bal Maschil, it's called, the one who starts off the Birkas HaShachar in the morning and Psuke de Zimra and goes all the way up past Nishmas to the Hamelech, the announcement of the Hamelech. So Rabbi Nezal said that you'll note that the Chazan that takes over at that point that says the Hamelech, he leads and then the congregation, the people say after him. He reads the paragraph and then the people repeat it after him. <clears throat> and that's how it goes for part of the tefillah of Shachris. But afterwards, Rabbi Nezal said, the chazan looks at himself and he says, Who am I? Who am I to lead the people to go in front of the people? And therefore, he changes. In middle, he changes where the people start the paragraph. They say the, the, the line first and the chazan says it after them. For, at which, which we find by many of the prayers. For example, Melech Elyoin, Amitz HaMenuso, Atahu Elokeinu Bashmaim Voretz, Gibor Venarots. Rabbi Nezal gave examples of different paragraphs in the Shachris, in the repetition of the Chazan, where the people recite it first, and then the Chazan. And so too regarding Unesan Etoikef. First the Tzibur, the people say it, and then the Chazan says, the chazan repeats after them. Whereas he says in the beginning, he started out differently. The chazan started out leading as if he felt qualified to lead. But then at one point he, see, he realizes, who am, I? who am I to lead? I want to be ahead and they should follow me. I want to follow them. And, and then they change. Rabbi Nezal was describing the different meanings behind the, the format of the Nusach of of the Yom Noiroim. The next paragraph, Tav Samaches, Rabbi Nezal said that this is certainly a, a major case of jealousy when, when you have a, a, an important tzaddik that served Hashem, that struggled to serve Hashem his whole life for many years with his soul, with his body, and, and never, never stopped serving Hashem and endured all kinds of suffering and struggles and difficulties and challenges, and then along comes a young man, a young person, and that young person achieves within a short period of time 
gets to the level that this tzaddik had to work 60, 70 years to get to, and this person achieves it in a short period of time. As we find the Medrash in Kohelis tells us that one of the Tanoim, one of the famous Tanoim, Rebbe Bun, the, the, the Medrash says that he lived 28 years. And in those 28 years, he accomplished what the other Tanoim, who lived 70 years, 80 years, what it took them 70, 80 years to accomplish, he accomplished that and more in, in his short life of 28 years. Rab Nusenzal writes here, comments here, that I, I really don't know what Rab intention was in saying this. Because we know Rab told us at a different occasion that there's no such thing as instant tzaddikim or quick tzaddikim, <clears throat> but rather a person in order to be a tzaddik, even if a person's father was a tzaddik and even if a person has great yichus, Still, a person has to work very, very hard to get to a madrega, to get to a level of tzaddik. And Rabbi Nezal told a moshel, a parable, about one person who was young and became famous, as if he's like a, one of the great, great leaders, great rabbis. And Rabbi Nezal said, The Gemara says, Not every person who wants to be a leader is qualified to be a leader. Meaning that sometimes people, people could be fooled in thinking that this person is, wow, he's a star, he's so special, and it's not necessarily true. So there, Rabbein was implied, and, and Rabbein Hazal writes, that Rabbein was referring to a person in the city of Valichai, who the general, at that time, the, the general of the army, of the government, saw him and liked, took a liking to him very much, and elevated him, made him like the chief rabbi at the time. And Rabbi Nezal said the reason why the general did this wasn't because he thought he was so great. He did it, he wanted to insult and anger other rabbis who are much greater than him. He was doing it to be spiteful, that kind of thing. So Rabbi Nezal was implying that don't think that this general, that he's the authority to say who's a great rabbi or anything like that. The, the truth is, we see both of these. We know the Gemara mentions a concept of yanik v'chakim, that you can have a person sometimes who's young and very bright. There are people who at their, at the, in their 20s or 30s can become as knowledgeable as other rabbis in their 70s and 80s. I remember hearing from my Rebbe, Rav Rosenfeld, he was once talking about a certain individual. I have reasons why I don't want to mention the name. And he was talking about this individual, and he said, this person shot up like a rocket. Within a period of 10 years, he grew to come to the type of level of the giants of the generation. He mentioned like a Reb Moshe Feinstein, one who was recognized as a Pisic of the generation, that this person in 10 years of intense, intense work rose up to, to join that club, that level. And he said that he did it especially through his spoiledus, through a lot of his spoiledus. That's what he mentioned at the time. So we see that there could be such a concept. There are shortcuts to a degree. We find Rabbi Nezal says in chapter 21 on Likut Imran, he says that there's two types, there's two ways of a person receiving knowledge. There's the standard method, 
where a person has to study letters, then words, then sentences, and, and learns Chumash, then, then Rashi commentaries, then Mishnah, then so on and so forth. And there is a concept of, what's the term that Rabbi Nizal uses there? A divine flow of wisdom. Shefa Elokai. Rabbi Nizal calls it Shefa Elokai. A, a heavenly flow of light and wisdom. Where Rabbi Nizal says there, that a person who perfects the menorah in his face, the menorah being the eyes, the nostrils, the ears, and the tongue. It's shaped like a menorah, the middle candle being the, the mouth, and then you have the nostrils, then you have the eyes, then you have the ears, just like on a candelabra. It's called the menorah, the holy menorah. That a person who purifies all of these seven openings of the head, and the person also cries out Tashem Tsakosenu Adea Talumais, Rabbenzal says there that a person can get a Shefa Elikai, where that person receives like a tsunami of knowledge and light, where that person could learn in a short period of time what another person would take years and years to acquire. We have the famous story with the Arizal, that the, the it's brought that one of his students, Rabavram Baruchim, Rabbi Avram Alevi once came into the Arizal on a Shabbos afternoon when the Arizal was taking a nap. He was resting, and he saw the Arizal's lips moving. He could tell that he was involved in, in studying Torah. So he bent over to listen, and the Arizal woke up. And he said, Rebbe, I know that you were involved. The Arizal had told his students that generally when he would go to sleep, his neshama would go up to heaven, and he would be alert. He would be 100% conscious, and he would be invited to attend whatever yeshiva in heaven he wanted to go to. And he described the different yeshivas, the yeshiva of Rabbi Akiva, the yeshiva of Basio Basparoi. He described what went on in the, the Mesifta de Rakia, Mesifta de Ilor. He was fully knowledgeable in all of these. So the Arizal told this student, for me to, to explain to you the secrets that I just learned now about Bolok and Bilam would take me 80 years. So he's saying that for this student, we're not talking about a kindergarten student, we're talking about one of the Talmidim of the Arizal, he said it would take me 80 years to teach you what I just learned now in this short, during this nap that I took, about the secrets of Bolok and Bilam. Question, but how can a person become equal to a great Poisek through his Poiridus? First of all, this requires knowledge of the Gemara and Halacha, or can this also be achieved through Shefalakai? The answer is that in the case of this person, the person learned Gemara and learned Halach. There's no question the person was doing a lot of learning. But what really fueled the speed of his progress was tremendous intensity of his spiritus. There, There are cases where a person can receive knowledge of things, again, a person has to be on a very high level, of things they didn't even learn, didn't even know, through tefillah, through tefillah alone. But that, that's not so common. We're talking about a person who is learning, learning a lot, but adding this component of hispoididus, and especially if it's serious hispoididus, can multiply the effectiveness of the person's learning, both in quantity and quality. The next paragraph, Tov Samach Shortly before the holiday of Pesach, people were speaking to Rabbeinazal about a person whose wife had passed away, a widower. And Rabbeinazal commented that Paroi was also a widower. 
he was left alone without his whole army was was killed out by Makas Bechoyrois and at Kriyas Yamsuf because the Pesach says in Tehillim Echod Mehem Loi Noisar that no one remained from all of Paroi's armies and people. And Rav Nassar said we understood from Rav Nassar's words that he was hinting something interesting that this Pesach in Tehillim where it says Echod Mehem Loi Noisar the first letters make up the word Almon. And Rav Nassar says Vahadvorim Stumim but we, we don't know, we don't understand what Rabbi Nezal was trying to, to say with this in referring to Paroi as an Almon and drawing a connection between a person losing his wife. The Gemara says a person who loses his, his wife, many, many difficulties. Rabbi Nezal once said, I believe Rabbi Nezal was the one who said it, that had he known how important it is for a person to retain their first wife, he would have said, let her be sick, but let her live. In other words, when he saw the pain she was experiencing and how severe the sickness was, he, he understood that it was a choice of her either continuing to live in intense pain and suffering or letting her go, that kind of thing. But he said, had he known how important the Zivug Rishon is, he would, have, he would have done whatever it took to hold on to her, to make sure she stays, she stays around. We should, we should never know from this. We should be zeicher that the, the wives and husbands should live arichus yomim v'shonim toivim. The next item, tofayim. Rabbi Nezal said, nowadays, the excessive desire for money and wealth and the desire for leadership, to want to become a, a leader, are greater even than taivas niuf, the illicit, the wrong, sinful type of desire for women. And Rabbi Nezal said, we see this, we can actually see this in real life, that even regular people that are involved in fidrad, fidrad means they become agents of the government, like to provide the government with all kinds of merchandise that the government needs to function. People that supply food, people that supply weapons, all kinds of different things to, to, to the king. That's called federatskis. So Rabbi Nezal said, even these people, they make their ultimate goal, they want to become rich, they want to make a lot of money. And all the money that they get, they send to their wives in order to... to to, to be able to buy expensive things. They don't waste money. They don't use the money necessarily just to enjoy it for short-term things. They're trying to save up for bigger things. Because Rabbi Nezal said that right, right now, the desire for money, the excessive desire for money, and to want to become a leader, a politician, those kind of things, is greater even than Taivas Niyuf. The next paragraph is sort of an extension of this, Tofay and Aleph. Rabbi Nezal said, and their friendship, their love is nothing, it's baloney. Meaning, the Ahava among Rishoim, people that are criminals, you know, sinners, and, and people that are not really connected to Torah, to Yiddishkeit, the, the love between them is, and, and among them isn't really a true love. But rather, it's each person they love themselves. For personal benefit, 
they'll make believe that they like somebody and they'll play up to somebody, they'll flatter them. Rabbi Nezal says, it's all for chanu, for flattery, people flattering other people, for, not because I think the, the other person is so good or so special, just because I need something from that person, I want to get something from that person. And, and each one is jealous of the other one, whereas the love among people that are truly religious and that have true respect for Hashem, especially the love between the tzaddik and the people that are close to him, that ahava is immeasurable. And that's a true ahava, an, an ahava that's really, really sincere. Because the, the tzaddik loves the people that are close to him with an incredible ahava, and he really is interested in their good, their eternal good. And if it were up to him, he would give them everything in the world, every type of good, not just in the future world, but even in this world. He'd love for them to have it easy, for them to have everything they need without any difficulties. Even though, Rabbi Nezal said, even though a person, that's not so critical, that's not so necessary, <clears throat> that in this world a person should have everything. The main thing is, if a person can do a favor for somebody for the next world, if a person can help somebody get into Olam Haba and be to have a good portion in Olam Haba, that's a real friend. But still, the tzaddik wants his people to have it good even in this world, that they should have every type of good. They should have nice homes, nice courtyards, gardens. Why? in order to, to, that the Rishoim, the people that are sinners, intentional sinners and everything, <clears throat> it should aggravate them seeing the people, religious people, thriving and being successful. Especially, Rabbi Nezal said, if, if, if a tzaddik knows that the people close to him are davening with real kavana and serving Hashem, where, where Hashem is pleased with their behavior and everything, then for sure that tzaddik has the greatest pleasure in the world from that. That's from the tzaddik to the people. And Rabbi Nezal said also, the people that are close to a tzaddik, the love that they have for the tzaddik is also on a very high level. Their love is also a true love, a sincere love. <clears throat> and Rabbi Nezal said, that by the other, by non-Jews and by other people who are not not connected to Torah, they they say that the most important thing is love, peace, and love. They make believe as if it's the most important, and, and they make believe as if they have it, <clears throat> but in reality they don't. They don't have true love. The love by them we see. We see people who who it looks as if they're close friends, business partner. And then they break it up in a second, or they go against each other. Whereas the, the truly religious people who are zechut to come close to a true tzaddik, they have this ahava amiti, this true, real ahava. There's a pasuk that Rabbi Nezal brings from Likutim Ram, the famous pasuk about David HaMelech and Yohanesan. Yohanesan was the son of Shaul HaMelech. If there was anybody who should have been jealous and feel resentment towards Dovra Melech, it was Yonason. He was the son of the king, and rightfully, according to some people, he should have been the next king. And yet, when he understood that Hashem wanted Dovra Melech to replace his father, 
he was 100% happy for him. And the Pesach says that between them they said, The love that we feel towards each other is greater than the love that a man feels towards a woman. That incredible level of Ahava between true friends and the Ahava that a person has for a Tzaddik or that the Tzaddik has for the person. Pause that we don't usually inject personal things, but I think this is worth mentioning. I remember when I was about 18 years old, 18 or I had just turned 19, and I was looking for a job in computers at the time. This is going back to the 1970s, and my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld had taught all of uh, taught his students <clears throat> to work and learn, to be able to stand on your own feet, support yourselves, and he himself did that also. So he, he suggested that computers is a very good field for a religious person. You don't need 10 years of schooling for it, like to be a doctor or a lawyer. You need four years of college, four years of medical school, two years of internship. <clears throat> a person could learn this much more quickly. And a person could, it's a field where a person would not have any conflict with keeping Shabbos. And it's something that a person could take anywhere in the world. He understood at that time that this is something that you'll be able to use anywhere in the world. The entire world is going to need this. And when I started looking for my first job to break into the field, people know that that's to get your first job is, is not so easy. Once you get your first job and you have some experience, then people are happy to, you know, you can start climbing the ladder. And I remember it took about a month of looking around at the time, and, and Baruch Hashem in the end found a very, very good job with religious people, with something fabulous. And when I remember when I called Rav Rosenfeld to tell him that I got the job, he said, you have, and I, he said this with the utmost of seriousness, he said, you have no idea how many nights I cried to Hashem that you should be zeicher to get a job. He understood that from that job, that job would enable me <coughs> to be able to get married, to be able to support a family, to be able to move to Eretz Yisrael. And not only that, but I was the first one of our chevra to break into the field of computers. Seven or eight of my friends, because I got in, I taught them and they got in also. We're talking about maybe 10, 15 families that were able to have parnosa, healthy parnosa, able to move to Eretz Yisrael and, and able to... To, to, to maintain a close Kesher to Rabbeinu Zaltabreslov throughout all of this. Again, to hear from a person that how many nights I cried to Hashem that you should be zeichet to get a job, that level of love, that level of concern, genuine concern. The next topic, smoking. Rabbeinu Zal says, Rabbeinu Zal warned us in a very, very serious way not to smoke a pipe. In those days, they weren't cigarettes like we've had in recent years. There was a pipe, it was called in Yiddish aluki. Or to smell tobacco, tabak, tobacco, which again was began to be a custom among religious people. People would come to shul and bring a little box of different types of tobacco to smell as a means of clearing your sinuses, all kinds of different things that people say. And Rav Nassim says, Rav elaborated on this. And he said that it's the, the right thing for a religious person not to get into these habits because it, it causes bittel Torah and bittel tefillah. This causes a loss 
of Torah and Tefillah. These things are, these habits are expensive, number one, and, and, and a person, who knows how much extra work, how much extra earning a person has to have to support these habits. And Rabbi Nezal said, it's something that the pers- a person does not need at all whatsoever. Food, you could say a person needs food to exist. There's a concept of taiva sachil, a person eating the wrong foods or too much food, but a person has to eat. A person has to get married in order to be able to have children, etc., etc. But this, Rabbi Nezal said, is totally unnecessary. And there were some people at that time that said it helps cleanse the body, that it, it, it's, it's a kind of, uh, in enough nikius, it helps digest better, and it helps a person be, to be able to eliminate waste from their body better. And Rabbi Nezal said it's not true. It doesn't help smoking, the, it does not help at all for that especially a person who gets used to doing it, because there for sure everybody knows that once you're doing something regularly, it doesn't have any major effect on the body, and certainly doesn't help. And we find in addition, in the Sefer Sichoi Saran, Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, paragraph 30, Rabbi Nezal stressed that during his time, there were some people who decided to be machmir, the, the Shulchan Aruch says that when a person is going to be davening, especially in the morning shachris, to make sure that your body is clean at the time. That when a person wakes up in the morning, to relieve themselves first, so that your, your body is clean for tefillah. And there were people who would try to take this to extremes. That they would try to make sure that they emptied their body completely, completely from any waste matter. And Rabbi Nezal said, they're nuts! They're nuts. The Torah was not given to angels. It was given to human beings. And when a person goes to the bathroom, 10 minutes later, it's possible to go again. So, so it's not that you're going to be there, you're going to stay there a half hour, empty yourself, and now you're good for the next two hours. It's not true. person has to do within reason what's reasonable. And more than that, to ignore it completely. And Rabbi Nezal said that even though he would smoke a pipe, he said he never, ever did it before tefillah, before davening in the morning, would never smoke at all. And, and smelling tobacco, he said, is definitely something that does harm to a person and, and takes a person away from serving Hashem properly. Because he said people that get into these habits, for people it becomes a habit to smoke, that person can't be without it even for an hour. And it's, it's a bilbul, and it, 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 it takes away from a person's davening and learning, especially when it's not available. Those people that are in the habit of smoking, sometimes on Shabbos, comes Shabbos afternoon, you see that they're not normal anymore. They're desperate. There's a desperation. Can't wait till Shabbos is over to be able to get that first cigarette. And Rabbi Nezal said also it's difficult for a person to get rid of these habits once a person gets used to it. Therefore, best thing is that a person should not allow themselves whatsoever to get involved in smoking and smelling tobacco, which are totally unnecessary, only do damage, and they, they cause a person a loss of Torah and Tefillah. Again, this Rabbi Nezal wrote towards the end of the 1700s. We're talking about over 200 years ago. We, we know that there, there was discussion in the past 100 years about smoking, not smoking, and we see, unfortunately, many yeshivas 
where there are students, there are rabbis that are smoking, students that are smoking. And here Rabbi Nezal advised his students not to do it. And again, my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, around the time that I met him, a short while after, there were a group of students that came, that came from modern homes, many of them, and many of them were smoking as teenagers, 18, 19, not, not 15, 16, and they weren't smoking the poisons that people are smoking today, Rahman al-Islam. We're talking about 50 years ago. <clears throat> and Rav Rosenfeld spoke about this, and every single one of his students was able to toss it, was able to get rid of it. Baruch Hashem. And say why he himself smoked? Mm-hmm. I believe it's mentioned in a different place that there were tzaddikim who knew the secrets of the ktoiris, and they were able, through their smoking, to be able to effect a similar tikkun to what the ktoiris did in the Beis Samikdosh. I believe that's mentioned regarding Rabbein Azal, regarding the Baal Shem Tov, some of these tzaddikim. But again, you could tell that it had nothing, there was no... Nothing that resembled a habit by them. It wasn't a habit. It was something that they did at specific times for a particular reason, a particular purpose. But again, to their students, they made it clear, stay away completely. The next paragraph, Tofayin Gimel, Rav says, I found written in one of Rabbi Nassau's manuscripts <coughs> that he wrote that it's a mitzvah for each and every single person to write a Sefer Torah for themselves. And, and writing a Sefer... And, and at least to write a Sefer in the Torah, meaning one of the five books of the Torah, and Koshkein especially, Tfilin, Mezuzas, that if a person can, to be Zoichet, to be able to write these things for themselves. Today, it's, it's not so common. <laughs> there are people, Baruch Hashem, that learn Safras, that are able to write, they're able to write for themselves, for their children, their grandchildren. Today, most of us accomplish this. We pay, we try to find a Sefer who's a Yerei Shamayim. That's the first and most important quality, a Yerei Shamayim, and one who has the ability to write properly and nicely. And we, we pay, we pay money to be able to acquire good mezuzahs, good tefillin, good all of these, these mitzvahs. And again, for a person to have the zechiah, to, to, to write a sefer, to write a letter in a sefer Torah even, that's one of the ways that we fulfill this today, because we know that if a sefer Torah has all the thousands of letters and it's missing one letter, it's not a sefer Torah. So each person who writes one letter in a sefer Torah, without their letter, the sefer Torah isn't a sefer Torah. So that's one of the ways, bidiyevet, that a person gets credit for writing a Sefer Torah. We should be zoichet to have kosher tefillin and mezuzahs and sifrei Torah. We should be zoichet to all the benefits of following the advice and guidance of the tzaddikim to live a healthy life and a chayim toivim, a chayim aruchim. We're coming this week, we're going to be celebrating Rosh Hashanah for trees, Tu Bishvat, which is a, a special time. We know that the, the Sifrei Kabbalah write that there are Gilgulim. Most reincarnations are found in fruits, fruits, vegetables, those kind of things. We should be zeichet that our eating and drinking our whole life should be Bikdusha, Besimcha, and be zeichet to the Gula Shleimah, Bemheira Biameinu, Amen Viamein. Wishing everybody a wonderful week. Yeshua's Refuas and Besuras Tervis, Mitzvah